morning. My name is Charlie. I am the assistant pastor here, and it's my delight to bring God's word to all of you this morning. We're continuing in our series uh, through Luke. Uh, we are now in Luke chapter 18. Uh, if you would take a moment and turn there, the words are also going to be uh, behind me. We are reading from Luke 18, beginning in verse 31 and ending in uh, 19, verse 10. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I have given to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The grass withers And the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are God who is with us, that you've promised to speak to us, encourage us with the grace that we have in Jesus, to call us, Lord, to follow you in the way you want us to. And we need your help in that. So work in us by your spirit this morning as you lead and direct us 
through the Lord Jesus and the work of your spirit. We pray this in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen. Well, as I was preparing uh, this, this sermon, I thought of a story. Would you imagine a, a, a picture for me? It's, we're in a waiting room. It's a doctor's office waiting room. Many of us have, have been to such a waiting room like this before. We've seen doctors uh, for all sorts of reasons. It's kind of shabby. The magazines are a little out of date. It's not really a place you want to hang out for very long. It's just comfortable enough. And this woman walks in. She's the main character of this story. And she calls herself the respectable, hardworking, church-going woman. But she analyzes the room. This room, this waiting room is full of people, all sorts of people that are waiting to see a doctor. They have all kinds of needs and all kinds of social economic statuses. And immediately she looks around and starts sizing up the room. She starts looking at everybody, and you get a picture inside her head of what she's thinking. She starts comparing herself with everyone, just coming up a little bit above everyone. Even those who are respectable that she thinks are of high status, there's still this comparison going on. There's a particular woman she, she locks eyes on, this woman she considers white trash. She's poor. She's in poverty. And in her mind, we get a glimpse, and she says this. There was nothing you could tell her about people like them that she didn't already know. And it was not just that they didn't have anything, because if you gave them anything, in two weeks, it would all be broken or filthy, or they would have chopped it up for, for light wood. She knew all this from her own experience. Help them you must, but help them you couldn't. This is actually taken from a story written by Flannery O'Connor. It's a short story called Revelation. Flannery O'Connor is actually a Christian, and she's exposing the pride that a lot of us as, as Christians can have when it comes to how we deal and interact with other people. The way we compare ourselves, the way we put people into categories and into boxes and kind of write them off like this woman was. She felt like she understood everyone in the room, she knew their story, and she just slowly started to write them off. Now bring that up, because here in our passage today we see two men that have a lot of differences, but they have one thing in common. They both have been written off by the people around them. For various reasons, they've both just been cast aside. And the people that are around them are, are, are creating these barriers. They're trying to stop this man and prevent this man and these men from coming to Jesus. You know, there are times in our lives as, as Christians that we actually can, can create barriers. We can create barriers for ourselves. When it comes to approaching God and knowing him more, when we look at our own life, we look at the failures, the mistakes, the mess that we've made of life, and we think, how in the world could God love someone like me? Or we start looking at other people and say, wow, they're quite a mess. I'm glad I'm not like them. My life is a little bit, you know, just maybe a hair above them. In both of these, we start creating these barriers and here we see Jesus coming in and breaks those barriers. He breaks the barriers so that we might be a blessing to others. 
Jesus breaks down barriers so that we might be a blessing to others. If there's any main message or idea I want you all to come away with, it's that. And we're going to look at that in more detail. With three just categories, it's really just breaking down that phrase. What are the barriers we set up? How does Jesus break those barriers? And how do we become a blessing to others? The, break, or the barriers, the breaking, and the blessing. So first, the barriers. The context here, if we could set the stage of where we're at in Luke, this is part of what are called the travel narratives. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And as we actually see here, we'll talk about this in a moment, he's actually foreshadowing and looking towards his death. That's a whole reason and purpose of why he's come. And he's constantly reminding his disciples and telling them what he's bringing, what this means for them, why he's there, and how it, what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And he's using these terms and categories and ideas that are fundamentally different than the people that are following him think and how the world operates and how even the most religious, the people that feel like they're the closest to God, operate. He turns all of that on its head. Some of these things we've talked about before, it's almost going to sound like it's just a broken record. I mean, some of you might just be like, man, we get it. We've, we've heard this before. But Jesus keeps bringing this up. I mean, this is Jesus just constantly bringing this up to his disciples and the people that are around him for two reasons. One, it's important. It's important for us to know. It's important for us to, to put into practice and to grow in our faith. But it's also the reason he keeps bringing it up and reminding him is because we forget, <laughs> all of us, we forget what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We forget what God is calling us to do. So this might sound like we're just repeating ourselves, but Jesus wants us to know these things. So what are the barriers? There's two men here. As I mentioned before, they have a lot of differences, but one thing in common. They're both social outcasts. There's the blind man who's a beggar. I mean, this is just a homeless man on the side of the road. And at that time, there weren't any social programs to help him. I mean, he was fully dependent on the generosity of those walking by. He didn't have family to fall back on, no social program to rely on. And at that time, for Jews, they believed that if you had a physical ailment, you had a disease or disfigurement, it often was a direct result in their mind of your own sin and mistake. So for them, they think, well, it's your fault. You're just experiencing the curse of God. God doesn't love you. This is why you're experiencing what you have. So this man's condition, most of the people walking by would have said, well, serves you right. A social outcast. He's unwanted, he's despised, and even thought to be outside of God's grace and blessing. And then there's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum in a lot of ways. He's a wealthy man. He's rich, so he has all the material things he would want. He's also, though, a social outcast. He's said to be a tax collector. And a tax collector is someone who's come up a lot in Luke. And they were also despised by a lot of the Jewish people. A tax collector was someone, often a Jewish person, who was hired by the Romans to take taxes of the Jewish people in order to support the Roman government. The problem is, the Jews really didn't like the Romans. 
They felt that they were this oppressive regime that were actually enemies of God. So a Jew working for the Romans was a traitor. And so they were despised. But this man wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. That's like a district manager of tax collectors. I mean, you couldn't get more tax collector than this man. So he would have been just totally despised by the people around him. Both of these men try to seek after Jesus. Both of these men try to get his attention. But they experience a barrier. There's something that's trying to stop them. And it's actually, this barrier isn't just isn't a man-made barrier. It's in the form of a crowd. It's actually the crowd that tries to stop both of these men from seeing and knowing Jesus. And we see that. With the blind man, he calls out to Jesus. This is verse uh, 39. Uh, he, he calls out, Son of man, have mercy on me. And the people respond, and it says those who were in front rebuked him. And if you hear last week, that's the same word that as Sam talked about, that the people were saying to the women who were bringing infants to Jesus, they rebuked him, which is a very strong word. It's not just like, hey, bro, calm down. It's, it's like, stop it. Stop that. Don't say that. Jesus doesn't want a part of you. Go away. Go back to, to, to whatever you were doing. Maybe they were uncomfortable with what he was saying. We know there were people that didn't think Jesus was what this man is saying. Perhaps they thought, you know, stop distracting us from hearing Jesus. I mean, Jesus is talking to us. We're trying to listen. Your yelling is a big distraction. Be quiet. But what we do know is they're trying to stop this man from seeing Jesus, from knowing Jesus. And then there's Zacchaeus. This is a little more subtle. Zacchaeus is said to be a a small man. It says he saw Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature. Perhaps you've, you know, for those of us who've grown up the church, know the Bible story and, and, and the rhymes. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. We just get this idea of he was just small. He was in a crowd. He was below head level. Some of us have experienced that. You just need a boost. But I think Luke is getting it to something so much more. That it wasn't just the fact that he was small. But it was actually the crowd was acting like a wall. They were actively preventing this man from seeing Jesus. And we know that, that they didn't like him. They call him a sinner. When Jesus invites himself in and hangs out with him, they scoff. It says they grumble, which goes back to actually the Old Testament, Exodus, when Israel grumbled what the Lord was doing. It's that same kind of feeling. They grumble at it. They're so just put off by it. So they're actively pushing this man away. They're actively creating a barrier to Zacchaeus. Something to keep in mind about the crowd. If you've been with us up up through Luke, Jesus often talks to different kinds of people. And sometimes he puts people into kind of groups and speaks to them. There's the Pharisees, the religious elite. These guys, you know, were the most obedient in their mind, the closest to the Lord. Jesus had a lot of words for them. And a lot of exposing their own pride and deception. There's the disciples. 
the people that are closest to Jesus, that are following after him, that are listening to his every word and want to know more and are watching him and are, and are trying to understand what he's saying. But what's interesting here is that Jesus doesn't distinguish between the two. He lumps everyone together into one. They're all just in the crowd, which means that the disciples, those who are closest to Jesus, are wrapped up in this. That they themselves might have these misunderstandings and misconceptions of what it means to be a follower. That they themselves are pushing out these men. That they themselves are thinking, you know what, be quiet. We're trying to listen to Jesus. Don't say that. You've gone too far, man. Don't think you just, just walk up to Jesus like they're like some bouncers. They're wrapped up in it which is good for us to keep in mind and think about. Because I think we are often more like the crowd than we care to admit. And I'm speaking about myself too. All of us can be more like the crowd than we want to admit. That we could set up barriers in two ways. As I mentioned before, we could set up barriers in front of us and God. And we could set up barriers in between us and other people that God is calling us to reach, and in a sense trying to set up a barrier between them and God. We set up barriers for ourselves. We do this in thinking when we understand, for some of us, we understand just how much we've offended God, we've sinned, we've failed in all kinds of ways. When we really look deep in just the, the, the darkness that you and I participate in, I mean, to think, how in the world would God ever love someone like me? How would God love someone like me after I did that? After I thought that? After I said that? And it wasn't just the first time. I mean, this is the upteenth time I've done it. How in the world could God ever love me for that? I can see him forgiving me for these things, but I've gone too far. I've done too much. There's no way. I could see him, I, I understand that God loves all of these people. I mean, their life just seems just enough put together. Sure, I'm sure they have some mess in there. But in God's good graces. Or, sure, God loves me. But it's almost like he just tolerates me. I mean, it's just like, okay, I guess you'll do. I'm going to have to take some overtime hours to fix this situation. You know, this is a big mess. I wish you were more like these people. So we begin to think that, okay, I'm part of God's family, but I'm kind of in the back of the line. So surely God is at the very least disappointed in me. Or we can create barriers between us and other people. They've gone too far. They've done too much. How in the world could they ever know the Lord after that? How in the world could God ever work in that situation? I mean, I'm glad I'm not like them. You know, sometimes we can think, when we look around the world, we start thinking, you know, the biggest problem with the world are these people. The biggest problem with the world is this group. The biggest threat to my you know, uh, comfort are these people or this person. 
The biggest threat to my rights, my religious liberty, are these people. When we start thinking us versus them, we're taking our minds of what God is calling us to do. And we start creating these barriers. Jesus enters in for both of these men, and he breaks the barriers. He breaks it down. Before that, it's interesting, if you look at how both of these men respond, the crowd is actively trying to block them off, trying to cast them out. For the blind man, he calls out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Which is actually looking back. This man, this blind beggar, is pulling out a, a, a term that God used hundreds of years before that. God made this promise with a man named David, King David. He made a promise to him that through your line, I'm going to bring this king. And this king's going to be eternal. And this king's going to bring an everlasting and forever kingdom. That's one of peace and justice. Just like the words that Nan read earlier from Isaiah. That's the part of that promise that the Jews were looking ahead and waiting for that. This blind beggar gets it. He's calling Jesus by that name, son of David, which is shocking if you were a Jew at that time. For this, a man like this to pull out these Old Testament promises to talk about Jesus. But what's really interesting is how Jesus responds. Jesus, it says, he stops. This is 1840. He stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. The crowd is actively trying to push this man out, to silence him. It says Jesus stops what he's doing. And it says he commanded him to be brought. Remember, this man is blind. So the, he's really just saying the crowd has to bring him to him. And that word for command is an authoritative word. It's a word actually used talking about kings commanding their subjects. So not only does he do these, you know, the opposite, he, he commands the crowd to change, to stop what they're doing and bring this man to him. The crowd, he, he commands them to stop this, you know, actively pushing somebody out and actually bring them to him. And then he, he, he speaks to the man. He asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And the man says, I want my sight. And Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And that phrase, friends, is not just that the man received his sight back, which is true. He did. It's so much deeper than that. That there was a fundamental change with this man. There was a fundamental status change in that moment for this man. That's eternal. It's not just in this earth and the world he was living in. It's an eternal status. That word for made well doesn't just mean a healing. It means just a fundamental transformation. The man was saved. And therefore, he was now a member of God's kingdom. But this idea that Jesus has been teaching his disciples is in action. The blind been given sight. The blind being brought to Jesus and fundamentally changed. 
And then he also does this with Zacchaeus, who also pushes against the crowd. What does Zacchaeus do? He climbs up a sycamore tree, which even if today's standards, if a wealthy, you know, well-to-do guy just started climbing up a tree for no reason, we might kind of look sideways. And in that culture, it was especially, you know, just socially unacceptable for someone like that to do it. And here he does. He climbs up this tree because he wants to see Jesus. He doesn't care what that means for him. And then it's almost comical. Jesus stops, it says. He looks up at Zacchaeus, and he calls him by name. Remember, they've never met. Jesus, they've never interacted before, and Jesus calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down from there. By the way, I'm, I'm coming over. <laughs> I'm coming over to your place. Get the food ready. It's this like total reversal of what the crowd expects because him inviting him to his home was an incredibly personal thing. To show hospitality, we have some of this today. We invite people over, we share our stuff, but it meant so much more in that culture that you actually shared your life. You shared your personal space with someone who came in. So Jesus entering into this man's home, he's entering into his personal space. It's almost as if Jesus came to Jericho for Zacchaeus. As the crowd is pushing this man out and he's, they're saying, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you, the reality is he was the very man Jesus came to see. It was all planned. Jesus knew all this was going to happen. And he invites this man, or invites himself into this man's home. And then he says, he declares a similar thing that he declared to the blind man. He says, salvation has come to this home because this man is a son of Abraham. That phrase, son of Abraham, refers to being a member of God's family, being a member of God's kingdom, which a lot of the Jews thought, just because I'm, I'm, ethnic, uh, I'm an ethnic descent of Abraham, I'm a son or daughter of Abraham, and therefore... I'm part of God's family. I'm one of God's favorites. Jesus says, no. That's not what it means to be a member of God's family. It's what you do with me. It's do you trust in me? Are you putting your faith in me? Not in the things that, that you're doing or your status or your accomplishments. Again, he turns these things on its head. The reason Jesus can declare these things to these men, and they have power, they're not just fluff words. Him saying these things, you've been made well. Him saying, you are a child of Abraham. They have eternal power. And they fundamentally transformed these men. Because Jesus would back these words up with action. Jesus was on his way to die. Jesus, as he reminds his disciples just before this, is on his way to suffer in brutal ways. I mean, look at the detail that Jesus spreads out for them. Beating, being spat upon, being mocked, shamefully treated, and dying. I mean, crucifixion was one of the most shameful ways to die in that culture. Jesus says all of this matter-of-factly, and it happened. And you know what? He did it anyway. Jesus, knowing everything that was in front of him, went to the cross anyway. This is why he came. He came so the words that he said to these men would be true. 
and he needed to pay for that to be possible. He needed to give his life so that the eternal and divine anger of God might be satisfied. He gave his life for these men. He gave his life for the disciples that are confused and are part of this crowd. And he gave his life for you. And he gave his life for me. And that's true for you, friend, if you're trusting in that. If you believe in that, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done with your life, however the world looks at you, however your family or even your church family looks at you, you are a child of God and you are part of his family and eternally loved. But do you trust in that? Some of us here might have been members for a long time. Maybe you've done all the right things. You feel like, you know, you've done enough. But Jesus has been saying that that's, that's not enough. Do you trust in him? Do you believe in him? I mean, really trust and lean in to him. That's what Jesus is calling his disciples, the crowd, and us to do. To lean in and to trust in him. And in order to, when that starts to happen, we start becoming the blessing to others rather than a barrier. What does that even mean? How does that even begin? Becoming a blessing to others. Well, Jesus models that as he died, he died for us. But he also modeled for us what true discipleship looks like. As he's been telling his disciples why he came and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To lay down your life. To give up. To sacrifice. To share. Because that's what he did. He gave up his rights in heaven. All the comfort that he had. And he became a human being for you and me. And suffered and gave his very life and blood so that you and I might have life. And it modeled for us the way you and I are to treat one another. The kind of sacrifice, the kind of love, the kind of generosity that he calls us to do. Your life fundamentally changes when God transforms you. It has to. It fundamentally changes. And it did for these two men. We see that. And they actually become a blessing to those who are around them. The blind man, he comes, he, he receives his sight, and what happens? He doesn't say, just say, okay, deuces, thanks for the eyes, see you later. No pun intended. <laughs> it says he follows him. He, he's, he's like, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm not just going to go back to the life I had before or even this new life that you've given me. I'm following you. And he worships him. And everyone around him, does the same. The crowd that's been pushing him aside sees what happens and they praise God. He becomes in that moment and what God has done for him a blessing to those around him. And Zacchaeus does the same thing. As Jesus comes into his home, he starts showing him and, and, and telling him, look, I've given half of my goods to the poor. And I'll, and I'll make amends to the wrongs I've committed. 
He's not showing trophies off to Jesus. He's not just saying, yo, Jesus, look at what I've done. My life looks pretty good. Are you happy? That he's actually experiencing the transformation of his heart. He gets it. He gets what Jesus has done for him, and he's willing to give half of his things, half of his stuff. It's a wealthy man. We don't know that kind of sum of money, but he was willing to give it to the poor and amend wrongs. Fundamentally changed, both of these men. And they become a blessing, and they were a blessing to the people around them. You know, it reminded me of a, of a man. This is going back to my church uh, in, in Resurrection in San Diego. It's a man named Don. We were in uh, downtown San Diego uh, and in a location where there was a number of homeless people that would hang out. And so we had a, a handful of them that would come through. And Don was one of them. Don, he, he did live in a room, but he lived off of Social Security check month to month. I mean, he was a guy you, most of us would probably walk by without a second glance. I mean, Pretty shabby clothes, you know, skin that had just been turned to leather for being out in the sun year after year. I mean, he had been on the streets for decades. He was a guy, you could probably put him through all the social programs out there, and not much would change. You know, he had some mental issues. There were moments where he would get upset. He might share some colorful words. But he showed up every Sunday. He came to worship with us every Sunday. And one of the ways, he, one of the things he would do is, it was so sweet, he would, he would stand up when we would sing, and he would do some air guitar, and he would kind of rock back and forth. He didn't sing. He's not one you would have a really deep conversation with. He was a man of few words. One of the most beautiful things, I was at Resurrection for seven years, and one of the most beautiful things I got to witness was this man became a member. Um. You know, in our tradition, when, when someone becomes a member, they get to proclaim in front of everyone and testify what they believe. To say, this is, this is what I believe. It's not a private thing. It's public. You know, Don is with the Lord now. He ended up dying with cancer. And he's staring at the risen Jesus face to face and is praising him and has all the rights and privileges and status of everyone there. He is just as lifted high as any other believer that's walked this earth because of what Jesus has done for him. And we were blessed by it. We were blessed to get a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like, of here's a man who's been kicked to the curb, but worshiping the Lord together, all of us, no matter our background, no matter our experience, no matter what we've done, equally before God. What if we had said to Don, you know what, buddy, thanks for coming. There's a soup kitchen down the road. We really feel like they can do a better job with you than here. Or you know what, Don, you standing and doing air guitar, it's really sweet, but it's kind of distracting. Why don't you start singing? Or you know what, Don, you should probably shave, maybe clean up a little bit. We would have been lesser for it if we had done any of those things. We wouldn't have, been insane, we wouldn't have had the privilege of seeing the beauty of God's kingdom in action. Of here's a man worshiping and being a blessing to us. Friends, 
how do we become? What are the things we could start doing when it, become, when, when, it, when it comes to being a blessing to others? We start reminding ourselves and continuing to come back to the reality that God has saved us despite ourselves. Despite what we've done, Jesus came to save us. Knowing everything that we've committed, knowing everything we've done, sacrificed himself for us. Gave his life so that you and I might have life. Because the reality is when we understand, when you understand the great mercy God has shown you, become a blessing to others rather than a barrier. When you understand the great mercy God has shown you, you become a blessing to others rather than a barrier because you get it. You understand the grace that you've been given is undeserved. That God has shown great mercy to you knowing everything that you've done. And then we could start sharing that same grace, the same blessings God's given us. We share it with others. We share the love and care and mercy and compassion that God has shown to us. And we do this. Jesus actually summarizes this for us in this verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You've done too much, you say. I've gone too far. The Son of Man came to seek and and save the lost. That person, I have no, like, I can't even imagine them being any different or talking to them or reaching out to them. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, which, spoiler alert, are all of us. Every single one of us are lost and in need of Jesus. And that's why Jesus came. Every single one of us are in need of his mercy and grace. And the more we remind ourselves of that, friends, the more we can start becoming that and being that blessing. And I'd encourage you to pray. Maybe start thinking about, Lord, show me the ways in which I'm creating barriers between me and you and the ways in which I'm creating barriers between those around me. All of us do that in all sorts of ways. And you might be surprised what God does with that. Bring it to him. Perhaps it's a neighbor. Perhaps it's a friend or a coworker that you've sort of just written off. You're cordial, you're nice, but that's as deep as it goes. Reaching out, showing the love of Jesus. And then we welcome those into our space, into our church, into our homes. One of the most, you know, encouraging things I've heard over the last couple of weeks is some of you have come up to me and says, man, I felt so welcomed by this church. And that's awesome. That is so encouraging to hear that this church family is welcoming those who come in. Praise God. Ann and I have experienced that. And I mean, I'm, I, I get it. I'm an assistant pastor, so I feel like you kind of have to, <laughs> like, welcome me. Like, you don't really have a choice. But some of you have come and said, no, I've, I've felt welcome." And Sam and I have been continuing to talk of what it means to be hospitable as a church. And over the years, that's going to constantly become with, with some shifting and rearranging and having to give up things that make us feel comfortable in order for others who walk in 
to be able to hear and know Jesus more. It's going to constantly be this, this walk of where we're giving up the things that we would rather have in order for other people that come in to feel welcome. You know, going back to the story, the one we, we talked about in the beginning, you know, this woman who walks into this waiting room is just sizing everybody up. He's just putting people into boxes and writing them off. There's one particular character there. It's this girl. She has some, some deformities. She's not the best to look at, but she's staring right at this woman, right at this main character with a scowl. She's just like, just staring at her with this death scowl stare. And it makes the main character feel uncomfortable. She can't really get it out of her head. She keeps like looking back and, and seeing that scowl. And as the story progresses and conversation goes, this girl actually gets up and starts strangling the main character. And she tells her, go back to where you came from, you warthog. It's this like shocking turning point of the story where finally someone says, what's going on in this woman? And, and brings it out in the open. And for the rest of the story, it can't get out of this main character's head. It totally rocks her. It totally changes her. She starts thinking about and fighting, and, and, and you get more into her head, and she's, she's struggling. She's like, I'm not a warthog. Like, who, who does she think she is, you know? Like, and then you start, she starts realizing and understanding, wow, but the darkness and the pride that was in her own heart. This girl's name, this girl that attacked this woman, Flannery O'Connor gave her a name, and her name is Mary Grace. And that's no mistake. Flannery O'Connor was a Catholic, but she was a devout Christian. And she's trying to give a picture of sometimes God's grace is subtle and, it's, and it helps and it, and, and it supports. And sometimes it just hits us where God tries to wake us up so that we might love one another. So we might show the grace that he's shown us. Show the generosity that he's shown us show the love and compassion that he's shown us. And the more we understand his mercy, the more we can do that for others. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you are a God of mercy and grace. As messed up as we all are, as many times we make these mistakes, many times we're going to, even this week, Lord, we'll see people and we'll start putting them into categories and into boxes. Lord, reveal those times where we are failing to extend the mercy and compassion and grace that you've shown us. And work through us, Lord, by your Spirit to love one another, to care for each other, to care for those around us and for our neighbors. And continue to remind us, God, of your great mercy and the love that you've shown us. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.